Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey out there, rock and rollers. Welcome to the 41st edition of the Ugly American Werewolf in London Rock Podcast, recorded here in central London, just off historic Abbey Road. And it's with a heavy heart that the wolf comes to you this week, as we're talking about the passing of the legendary Charlie Watts, the dapper and gentlemanly drummer of the Rolling Stones since the dawn of time. And his loss was a it was a hurtful one for me. It just kind of came out of the blue. We knew he was, I don't know, sick or ailing. We knew he had to have some kind of procedure, was going to miss the rest of the zip code tour uh, or whatever the tour is that they're doing right now that they had to postpone because of COVID and they're going to resume here in North America shortly. Steve Jordan, who worked with Keith Richards for years and has written songs with the Stones and did all of Keith's solo records with him, he was set to fill in and now it's going to be more of a tribute and, and maybe if they continue to go on, it's going to be his full-time gig. But that begs the question for me, is it over? Is this now going to be the end of the Stones? Now, I know Mick, he won't let it slow down for anything. I know they'll say Charlie wouldn't want him to quit. But we'll see how that really plays out and how Keith feels all about that. In addition to our tribute to the dapper and gentlemanly Charlie, we're going to review the classic album Let It Bleed, which honestly for us was our favorite Stones album in our early 20s and our late teens. When we first moved in together, that was was the one Stones album that wasn't a greatest hits album, not Hot Rocks, not Rewind, but an original album that had classics like Gimme Shelter and Can't Always Get What You Want, Midnight Rambler, Monkey Man, Love in Vain, a fantastic record that was kind of made in the context of the Beatles were doing Let It Be, so the Stones answered with Let It Bleed. And it was a controversial time as Brian Jones was working his way out of the band, Mick Taylor was working his way into the band, they started using people like Nicky Hopkins and Bobby Keys, who would be longtime collaborators with the Stones. And they were starting to move away from the management of Alan Klein, who they didn't even realize it, but he was keeping half of the royalties from their record sales. All that would change in the coming decade. Also, it, it was the end of the 60s. And the ultimate disaster was set to the music of this album. So it's a classic, and we're going to dive into it here today. Now, as usual, we want you to follow us on Twitter, at Ugly underscore Werewolf, and at ActionJack72. And we want to know which songs, which albums, which bands do you want to hear us review? Which ones do you want to hear us talk about? Maybe we'll do it on the show. And you can check out all past episodes at www.UglyAmericanWerewolf.Libsyn, L-I-B-S-Y-N. Com, where you can find a couple of shows that we've done. One was on the Rolling Stones' Steel Wheels album and tour, and one was on Keith Richards' solo career. So with that, we want you with heavy hearts to sit back and hear our take and tribute to the legendary Charlie Watts and the Stones' classic, classic album, Let It Bleed, right here on The Wolf. Podcast listeners, Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. 
Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles, plus awareness mode. Available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. The death of Charlie's Watts, as, as we're recording this, his, his death was a little over a week ago. And I was at home. I was making dinner for my daughter. She was doing some art or reading or doing something a seven-year-old does. And I get these little flashes, updates from BBC, like, you know, Boris Johnson said something stupid today. Or U.S. is pulling out of Afghanistan and people are dying. Like, the alerts will come up. And this was an alert on Charlie Watts, 80. And, you know, you only get, like, two lines it was kind of like, it was similar to when Neil Peart died when I was just reading the news and all of a sudden CNN, Neil Peart, 65, longtime drummer of Rush. I'm like, oh no, this is going to be that he died. Uh, and that's exactly what it was with Charlie. It's like, you know, Charlie Watts, 80, longtime Stones drummer. I'm like, oh man, Charlie died? And I was upset. And I made sure that my daughter didn't see me cry because she's never seen me cry before. And I, I don't think it should necessarily the first time be at the death of a drummer, no matter how important Charlie Watts is. But it, it really uh, hurt me. We knew that he was sick. We knew he's going to miss the upcoming tour. But I guess nobody knew how sick he really was. And he wanted to go out peacefully, quietly. That was his thing, right? He, he didn't seek the spotlight. He wanted... Uh, you know, to be off in the shadows. He's happy to be with his family, with his daughter, with his granddaughter. And so he went out quietly, which is the way he wanted it. But I got to tell you, I was very, very sad. Yeah, I was in the same boat. I, I was sitting in a, we were going to start a seminar and I was just two seconds. You An know, insurance before. seminar? Yes, correct. Oh, Jesus. Yeah, you, can, you can imagine how exciting that would, was. Uh, just edge of your seat mm -hmm. excitement and so i was che i was just checking my phone just making sure because we were going to go dark there for a little while and then i saw something and then you texted me and i was like oh and as soon as that happened i said uh oh because i got the update probably what like two weeks ago that charlie was not going to be on the tour mm -hmm. and I, at that point in time i was like uh oh but they're like no you know he's yeah, but he'll be ready for the next leg or something like that okay well maybe 
Right. I mean, he's he was out 2021. Okay. He was Correct. not going to do yeah. fall 2021 in the States. Jordan was going to do that. Yeah. I mean, he would have done hang great. Hang in there, folks. Yeah. Right. And then it came back. It's like you said, as soon as I heard Charlie Watts, I went, uh-oh. uh-oh. It's not that he's writing a book or something now. Something is wrong. Yeah. And it was just like that, just that sad end of an era kind of deal. Because the more I got thinking about it and I went back and started to like watch Charlie Watts interviews and just, you know, hear him speak. Everybody wants to be Keith Richards, right? Keith Richards is the coolest dude. Everybody wants to be him. Mm-hmm. But I think we need a little more Charlie Watts. And a, maybe a little less Keith Richards sometimes. Just that understated mm-hmm. gentleman, always just the cool head prevail, just doing his thing back there, like you said. Not look at me, look at me, seeking the spotlight. Not going crazy. Just consummate professional and the guy who really kind of the glue that kind of held the band together for all those years. Saw a couple of deals where they would, at the end of the show, they'd always uh, inter- uh, introduce the band and mm-hmm. everything. And, you know, you kind of had and Keith together and and then Charlie would come out and the fans would go nuts when they ever they introduced him and he'd come out and he'd you know okay and then, and then they keep cheering and he'd have to stand up again no I saw the stones yeah. six times and it was yeah. that way every single time every time they introduced Charlie he would get the especially in the later years I feel like yeah he got the biggest ovation. The people are like, God bless that man. <laughs> <laughs> and there was one where it was, you know, it's, you know, it's, we've got a birthday tonight and it's Charlie's birthday and he wanted to spend it with you. And he just comes out and he's just rolling his eyes like, don't, don't do this. Don't. <laughs> Happy birthday. Okay. All right. And you'd figure after a while, you know, you knew that was coming, but still just that, like, you know what? I'm good. Just, just let me do my thing back here. And mm-hmm. you guys jump up and down and, and get all the, adoration I will I'll step back here and, and just take care of business there was an, I saw an interview with him and the, the guy asked him do you ever feel like you were miscast in the Rolling Stones and he just looked at him and, and Watts said what like I should have been the singer or what, what are you trying to ask me but just that like like you knew what he was saying but he was still trying to mess with the guy I think Keith Richards said the deal with Charlie Watts is that everybody can do the rock everyone's got the rock down or a lot of people have the rock down Charlie had the role mm-hmm. he was the he just knew what to do in the songs and then there was another thing about it, they compared him to pizza so pizza is very it's very there's not a lot of ingredients in it. Mm-hmm. Kind of so many people get it wrong. It's it's very hard to make a really good pizza. It's especially hard wants. in the UK, apparently. Trust <laughs> me, I've lived here two and a half years. And I don't know why it's so hard. But it is, apparently. It, it just, but he just, it just didn't make any sense. He made no sense in the Rolling Stones. A guy who married to the same woman, not a, not a flashy guy, not a loud guy, but just, like I said, I think he really was in part the glue that held it together, that let them do their thing for so long and not implode. And you know, when someone passes away, especially someone the stature of Charlie Watts, you're going to get a lot of people coming out giving memorials and, and showing respect and, and talking about what he meant to them. Obviously, Obviously that's going to happen but the, like the level of people who came out and like Paul McCartney did a video you know eulogy like a minute and a half you know that that's Paul McCartney that's rare air of course Ringo came out and and did something for him but like the, the level of players out there like the who 
and and the the people who came out to show respect for Charlie Watts, his quiet dignity was something that was not missed. I mean, you've got Crazy Keith and and Mick, and then you got Wild Ronnie on the side, and you got Bill before he left. He's fifty. He's married to a fifteen year old or whatever. You know, he had his issues, and Charlie's just back there keeping the beat, wearing those dapper Seville Row suits that he loved so much. Married to Shirley for fifty eight years. You know, didn't have ten kids by eight different women had one daughter you know and and was a family man but it, when you're a drummer you can't just sit at home you got to go out on the road and, yeah. and that was kind of the dichotomy of his life he likes being at home he likes being with his family being in the garden but he's a drummer and you can't just sit at home and play the drums you got to go out and play and the other thing i didn't know was that that set that he has that gretch drum set mm-hmm. he's had forever it wasn't like oh yeah this is the new model like i think it was like a 50s vintage deal and he just played it all the time he's like this is what i like this is my sound i don't want anything different Mm -hmm. he had a really really kind of in the vein of ringo Starr, only had a very minimal amount of drums he didn't need a thousand of these things to to do his deal and it just worked it just worked in the framework of the band and I loved that there was a, I guess he used to have a little deal that he would do every time before he got on stage, like a little like warm up, kind of like he just kind of like, you know, mm-hmm. herky jerk around a little bit. Right. And Maybe then a I little tap dance kind of thing. Yeah. He's kind of moving his yeah. hands, moving his feet. Yeah, just to get himself warmed up. And I guess Keith used to get a big kick out of that. And so you'd see Charlie doing his thing and then Keith would kind of mime it a little bit. Mm-hmm. And so it, it, he said he just did it. It was like some kind of like dancers, like at the Cotton Club or something. He just said, he just liked it. It's just something that he did to get himself. I think to get himself more locked in, like this is, you know, we're getting ready, ready to take off. I'm going to get myself centered. He said he still got nervous every time he went on stage, just like, you know, those butterflies. And to think of the thousands of shows that they did, you think it'd be automatic, but to still get that, that's pretty cool. Pretty cool. To think that, yeah, just that level of excitement. You still, you still enjoyed it. It wasn't like, ugh, here we go again. Yuck. No, I I hear you. And I've seen that backstage. And it's funny because Keith basically has a valet or a butler. I mean, backstage, (laughs) he walks over and someone hangs his guitar on him. He sticks out his left hand. You know, and they put talcum powder in it. They stick out his right hand and they put a cigarette in it and they light it for him, you know. And then there's Charlie just sitting there kind of doing his little dance. And and, <laughs> and, and people are looking at me, okay, Charlie's like, oh, yeah, yeah, here we go. I'm getting ready. Of course, Mick's, you know, ready. He's like, all right, I got a girl in the eighth row over here. I got a girl in the front row down here. I got a couple backstage over here. We're going to make X number of millions on this show tonight. Then, you know, he's got a lot of stuff going through his head. Charlie's just getting ready for the show. And, and then, of course, that night after he died, I'm like, okay, well, now I got to listen to some Stones because I know we're going to do a show on it. And I got to think about, okay, now what are, what are like his signature drum parts, you know, that we can really talk about on the show? And I'm like, it's all of them. I mean, it's, it's every yeah. single song that they ever did, man. You, you said that you're like, oh yeah, we need to figure like his top ten, and and I thought the same thing. I'm like, yeah, it's you could say every song because it's not all the same, and he just does exactly what needs to happen in these in the song. If you need a lot, he gives you a lot. If you need a little, take it back. Yeah, I, I think that he he was extremely underrated in the the mixture of what made this so great. I agree with you, man. And so I you know I I tend to listen to stuff that's on my iPhone because because I've downloaded there or you know on Amazon sometimes when I buy a record 
it'll give me the auto rip and it'll put it straight to my account so that it's on my phone and I can listen to it right away. And out of more or less obligation, I bought the Grr Best Of. Not because I didn't have all those songs. I already had every single one of them, most of them several times on different things. But it was good to have it in a package. And eh, I buy it right now. It's, I rip it and I can listen to it on Alexa right away. So I'm just, I'm just starting to work through some of these. Even starting as early as like... Get off of my cloud, boom, boom, and that—that's mm-hmm. that's signature. That's signature to the song. It's Jagger Richards wrote the song, but that is what the mark he put on the song, you know. And you think about Paint It Black, boom, 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 boom. I'm like, oh, that's Charlie. That that was really great, you know. What about you know? Let's spend the night. All of a sudden, I started going through all of these songs, and I'm like, God, he was he was the man. He did all of this. Correct. Correct. Exactly. Like I said, exactly what you needed. And and like Gimme Shelter, which I mean, we're going to talk about because we're also going to review Let It Bleed because it's long overdue. It's It was a, the one Stones album other than Greatest Hits albums that we had in, in our college days, except for maybe Steel Wheels. But we we had Let It Bleed. We listened to it over and over and because I love, and you do too, the Gimme Shelter. But the, some of the fills he does in there, some of the cymbal crashes he do in there, it's just, it's right on the money uh, and I'm like god he, he was he was underappreciated to the general public maybe but for real stones fans they know who the real deal is yeah and it's and it's hard to it's hard to find any space when you've got Jagger and Richards in the same band. But you, to your point, yes, if you're really a fan of this music, you you appreciate what he's doing there. And I think even in the time that he's passed away till now, I've gotten even more of an appreciation just because I went back. And the cool part about YouTube is if you really get lost in there, mm-hmm. you can find like isolated drum tracks where they kind where they take the you can still hear the rest of the song, but they push it way down, and you just hear the drums. And yeah, it's really cool. Like, oh, okay, yeah, I hear that now where he does the little transition or he puts in the little, you know, bridge to get you to the next part of the song. Yeah, that's that's pretty cool. And it just shows you that he's he's doing his thing. He's doing exactly what he has to do. It's the, the concept of it's kind of what you don't play. You just it's just enough for the song. It's just enough to make it complete. Good good way to put it. Yeah, he, he's not trying to overpower it. He's not going to try to show everybody how awesome he is. He's not going to say, okay, everybody sit back. This is my time to really do this big fill or do a drum solo. He, he said in an interview how much he disliked drum solos, how right. silly he thought they were. But, you know, he's a guy who, like, he didn't speak up. But if you asked him a question, he would speak his mind. He wasn't afraid to tell you what he thought. And if, if he didn't like you, if, you know, you did something he didn't like, he would say it. And, of, or, of course, there's the great time he... He knocked out Mick Jagger, which I definitely want to talk about because there's a couple of different versions of that story, but it all kind of revolves around the same thing. What I liked about, you know, I remember when we were at the end of college, they had him on 60 Minutes. Ed Bradley interviewed them and it was great at the time. But then since he passed away, they showed like the cut parts, the parts that didn't make it on air. And they showed Ed talking to Charlie's like describe the the band, you know, and he's like, Keith is the leader. He's the heart. Now, the reason they cut that out is because he wasn't saying Mick Jagger's in charge of everything. And Mick Jagger's like, you're not putting that in the on TV, you know, 60 minutes. You know, I, I am Mick Jagger and I am the show, which he is. And that's what he said. He's the greatest front man in the world, except for maybe James Brown and his paid in his heyday. Mick Jagger out there doing his dance, being the front man, belting it out. That's the show. That's that's the price of admission right there is to see that. Meanwhile, you know, basically me and Keith are in the engine room making it run. 
you know, giving him the opportunity to go out and do his stripper dance or, you know, whatever, you know, however you want to characterize it. I mean, I, I think I've heard Mick characterize it that way before. That's kind of what it is. He's doing the old bump and grind out there to music and, and Charlie's keeping the beat for him, you know, so... Uh, but I'm like, it was pretty up for me. Like, Keith's the heart. Keith's the leader. And Keith has always been in charge of the band. But Mick's in charge of all the other stuff, right? <laughs> well, and, and and I think it's that really shows with the Mick Jagger solo stuff. The reason that didn't take off the way that I'm sure he wanted to. Because, yeah, there was no Keith Richards. There was no Charlie Watts. It's almost like they kept him in check. I don't know if they're completely equal, but I mean, as far as like longevity, mm-hmm. you need somebody in that to rein a guy like Mick Jagger. I'm like, we're not doing that. We're not. Yeah, that's not going to happen. We need we need the old school blues. We need it's, it's not just you all the time. But I agree. You know, you go back and listen to the Keith Richards stuff, which we've talked about before. That's really more what's in our wheelhouse mm-hmm. where the Mick Jagger stuff is not. That's more pop, more flash, right. where Keith is more. He's more soul. He's more R and B. More blues. And so rock. is Charlie. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Absolutely. Correct. Yeah, you know, and the and the fact of the matter is, they let him make the biggest decision band wise, band membership wise, that they've had in the last forty five years. Because Brian Jones left basically around the time of Let It Bleed, and we'll talk about that when we get into the to the record here. Mick Taylor came in in '69. He stayed till the mid '70s. They switched him out for Ronnie before the Black and Blue album. And then the band continued through Steel Wheels. And then at the end of that, Bill Wyman said, okay, that's it. I'm 50 years old. I got plenty of money. I got a teenage wife. I'm going to go ahead and retire. And then they needed a new bass player. And they're joking about it. Like I said, well, at the end of the day, we tried all these great bass players. And, you know, we got guys we like. We got guys who would fit in well socially. But are they, you know, good enough chops? That kind of thing. And they basically left the decision to Charlie because that's the rhythm section, the drums and the mm-hmm. bass. And Charlie's like, only decision they let me make in the last 30 years. It's a pretty damn big one, you know. <laughs> but it's Daryl Jones. And I mean, at this point, kind of depending on when you time it, you know, if Bill Wyman joined in 62 or 63 and left in 91, technically, and then Daryl Jones came in 93, 94, you know, it's... It's about the same amount of time at this point uh, that he's been in band. Obviously not the same number of records or the level of record, you know, that they made in the 60s and 70s. But still obviously a great fit and someone who is in demand. If he hadn't gotten the full-time Stones gig, he would have been on a million sessions. He would have been on thousands of records. And who knows, may have been picked up by somebody else. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, very in-demand guy. And, and it's cool that the conditions worked out that he's basically he's in the band i mean i know he'll never be an official member but he's always there you know on all the recordings on all the tours and so that is that is great to see and i think they've got a lot of the same backing people that they they pick up so it really is more like a band than just a collection of hired people yeah i mean bernard fowler's been singing back up for him for for decades Lisa Fisher did it for a long time. I think Lisa's come off the road, you know, finally. Because, I mean, you know, and <laughs> God love her. I mean, she's gotten older. She's like 60-something now. I mean, God bless her. I mean, she, it, it's hard to, to, to keep up with the Stones. We thought they were so old in 89 when we first saw them. But now they've been doing it longer since then than they've been doing it up until that point. Which is insane to see. And somebody, I, somebody, I don't know, on the radio, they they told a story. Maybe it was Bill Burr about being in a hotel on the road and seeing Mick Jagger. Mm-hmm. And he was like, Mick's 
you know, it's six thirty in the morning and he's going down to work out. I mean, he's still a consummate professional. He is not going to let himself go. And so I think that it, it comes a point in time where, you know, you have to say, I can't do this anymore. I'm just too, I'm mm-hmm. too old. And Mick refuses. He refuses to give up. He refuses to give an inch. I mean, he's, he still looks like, I mean, I understand he's older, but I mean, he's not one of those dudes that you see some of those bands where it's like, oh boy, these look like your, these could be your dad's friends or something. And not Mick. Mick still looks like a rock star. From the neck down. Yeah. He looks amazing. (laughs) He's a little leathery up top right now. But I mean, here's the way I look at it. He and my dad are basically the same age. Okay. Mick is in sick, sick shape, you know, still Mm -hmm. runs around on that huge stage. He runs miles a night doing that show. And so, and, and Charlie was the same way. He never gained an ounce. He probably could wear the same pants the day he died as the day he joined the Stones. It was yeah. kind of unbelievable. I don't know. I mean, it, it's something that we kind of brought up a little bit on one of our previous episodes. And that's that, okay, obviously once Mick Jagger dies, there's no more Rolling Stones. But he'll probably live to be 100. If there's no Keith, there can't be a Rolling Stones. Again, he'll probably live to be 110 somehow. <laughs> Um, as long as he keeps smoking. If he stops, he's going to die. But if, if you keep those cigarettes going through him, it will keep him alive somehow. So this is my question now. We've lost Charlie. He was 80. He, he didn't have 10 years left in the tank. So what does this mean for the Stones? And that's a good question because when, when originally when they put that press release out that Charlie was taking a hiatus... I think, you know, again, Jordan, he played with Keith. You know he can fill in no problem, but the key is fill in. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I don't know if – I don't know if it will be the same. Once this tour runs out because they've already sold the dates – I don't know if people will be that excited anymore because, yeah, now we're only down to two original members. I, I don't know. I don't know. Here's the thing. I, I think it will still – the thing is they don't do like 50 dates a year anymore. They do like 15 and they grow some sick numbers. Uh, you know, yeah. They may have done 80 dates or something like that on Steel Wheels and, and grossed 100 million. Now they do 15 and they gross like 65. I mean, there's, there's so many ways for them to get your money now and the, the way they do tickets is – it benefits the band in a huge way, so they don't have to do it quite the same way as they used to. But yeah, they're 76, 77, starting to get up there. They're not going to do huge tours anymore. Is it going to be something where the Stones just kind of keep going until one by one they all fall off? Or are they going to develop a plan, okay, now that Charlie's gone, because the hardcore fans, I think you're right, some will be like, okay, that's it, I'm not seeing it about Charlie. I'll, I'll go to the one show with Jordan, Steve Jordan, because uh, I want to see the tribute to Charlie. Because, you know, the tour is now taking on kind of a different facet. It was just, okay, we're still on the same tour. We lost a guy, but we're going to get a friend to fill in and he'll be back. Well, now he's not coming back. So now it's really a Charlie tribute and they're going to change, I assume, the graphics and some of the pictures and stuff like that behind them during the show in tribute to Charlie. And so they have to finish these dates, but then I'm, I'm questioned what are they really going to do going forward? Because the casual fan who still somehow has not seen the Stones and so oh, I just want to see him once before they die or I die. I don't know how many of those people are really out there unless you're like 10 or something like that. I don't know how excited they'd be for more. And I honestly believe that as strong as Steve Jordan and Keith are great friends and they're tight and they'll do good shows together, I think it's going to lose something for Keith not having Charlie there. I think it's going to hurt him in his heart. Yeah, 
it would be tough to yeah i mean like we were talking about before he used to stand there and and mess with him when he was doing his little warm-up you know it's stuff like that well that's not going to happen anymore yeah you just yeah you just miss playing with your friend and then for for the guy who comes in you know jordan is he's insanely talented he can play it no problem but all he's doing is a charlie watts tribute right charlie watts was playing it like like it was laid down like it was created this person is just doing an impression of him so yeah i think i think it will lose a lot and and the other thing too is the dynamic of charlie on the tour too like i mean did they go to dinner did they hang out did they you know did they interact with each other and all of that's gone yeah and it it would be tough Mm -hmm. it would be tough so i i don't know I don't know. And will Mick finally be seen as like a greedy bastard if he tours without Charlie? Of course, they'll say, you know, all the right things. Charlie would be like, he wouldn't want the band to quit without him. He wouldn't want to stop just for him. Secretly, Jackson, my hope is that the Stones will kind of close ranks, close it down. And maybe, just maybe, we'll get that Winos tour we always wanted. Oh, that would be that would be that would be sad that if they if they really called an end to it, but to see the winos would make me a lot less sad. That I mean, would be pretty cool. Yeah, we could take off work for a month and just go tour around with them. Just go to every damn we'd show. Have to. We'd, we'd have we'd have to, to at least do two weeks. Yeah, we would owe it to ourselves. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and our wives would be happy to get rid of us. Absolutely. Yeah, they wouldn't care if we just sat in the driveway for two weeks. Just don't bother me. <laughs> Why is Daddy getting rained on? <laughs> just, it's okay. Just, just leave just, him out there. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's better this way. <laughs> so I guess, I guess I want to tell the story, the favorite, my favorite Charlie Watts story. All right, I'm going to tell it how I heard it. From Keith, I feel like I read it in like Q Magazine or something when I was over here in England. This is my second time living in England. In 1994, I lived here for a summer. I studied at Cambridge. And in the afternoons when I was done with class, I would go into the Village Square where they still have an open market. But back then they had a couple places that had bootleg CDs. And that's where I got like the Brussels Affair, which has now become kind of a a legalized bootleg, you know, an official bootleg released by the Rolling Stones. Mm -hmm. Also Hampton Roads, Virginia. Virginia on the the Tattoo You tour and was a double disker that was really nice and I picked those up there and just had a good time talking with the dude who who ran the thing but I also got Q magazine which was kind of a Rolling Stoneish kind of a thing back then and it was around the time that Voodoo Lounge was coming out so they had interview with Keith Richards in there and he was telling a story about how they were in Amsterdam they had like a band meeting in Amsterdam for whatever reason and then they you know it, and maybe there was a wedding or something. I don't know. Something's, you know, they're all partying, partying until the wee hours of the morning. Mick and Keith are in the room and Mick's wearing Keith's jacket. And they've got a big, they got room service. They got a cart there or whatever. And so they're partying, drinking, whatever. He's like, where's Charlie? Let's rouse him. They pick up the phone and Mick Jagger calls Charlie. This is like two in the morning or something crazy like that. Three in the morning. And Charlie has the phone. He goes, is my drummer there, please? And Charlie doesn't say a word. And he hangs up the phone. And according to Keith, he goes, oh, Keith, oh, Mick, I don't think that was very clever. And then like 45 minutes later, there's a knock at the door. And it's Charlie. And he's not in his pajamas. He's dressed to the nines in one of those seven row suits that he likes. Button all the way to the top button. Looks Jack in the face. He goes, don't you ever fucking call me your fucking drummer. And knocks him in the face. Hits him in the eye. Mick falls onto the tray and starts rolling towards the window. Like he's going to fall out into the canal. 
<laughs> underneath the hotel. And Keith's like, and he's wearing my jacket. I'm like, what are you going to say? You're singing your jacket, Keith. You know, that's kind of a weird story. Now, I just read something here that it was said during a meeting in Amsterdam. It definitely happened in Amsterdam. Like, it was said during a meeting, like, oh, you're, you know, no one cares about you. You're just my drummer, is what Nick said to him. And then that sat in his crawl days, thinking about it, thinking about it, pissing him off, pissing him off. So eventually he walks down there, says the same thing. Don't you ever fucking call me your fucking drummer. Hits him in the face and walks away. And then, allegedly, this is from a reporter who I guess was with him. He said, you know, he walks by him or Keith walked by him. He goes, how's it going? Charlie goes, yeah, I just knocked Mick Jagger out. <laughs> but I think I think the Keith version is better. I don't know if it's true, but I like it a lot better. Yeah, and I think it's one of those those like kind of urban legend stories now that, that grows and changes. But I have heard that. I think the the, the basis of that is true. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the part about how he was mad. And, and I think he did actually hit him. Now, what else happened as far as like I heard it was like he calmly got up shaved shower mm-hmm. put his suit on and then went down there and knocked him out yep but i think i think that just proves that at that point in time like they the things were running real thin there everybody mm-hmm. was on their last nerve with everybody else it's one of those things where it's like that couldn't possibly be true there's no way that really happened i think it is there, mm-hmm. there's enough there's enough corroborating evidence to say i don't know exactly how it happened but at one point in time charlie did punch keith i mean uh mick for being in basically an ass. I know. And I think Mick gets away with a lot because he is powerful and he's very forceful. I hear he likes to get up, you know, within a couple inches of your face and shout at you. And it can be very intimidating. A, a, a man yeah. of his size isn't going to intimidate me. I don't care how much he shouts. You know, I'm twice his size. I'm six inches taller than he is. I'll pick him up and let him get a little closer to my face if he wants to be <laughs> that close. Um, you know, I'll get him some phone books or something like that. But... I can see where it could be uh, uh, intimidating. And Charlie's not going to get in your face. But if you cross a line, right, he's going to lay gotta, down the law. Yeah, yeah, you've got to. Uh, you know, it's like having the it's like having the dog on the leash, and every once in a while, you just gotta you gotta pull that leash back and say, okay, that's a little bit too far. Mm-hmm. And and it's got to be a weird dynamic too, because you figure you've got the band guys, right, the five band guys, mm-hmm. but then you've got an army at that point in time of you know valets and managers and accountants and everything else. That yeah, if you're Mick, you can scream at all those people. Yep. They're employees. They're, you know, you pay them to be there, but not me. I'm not that. That's right. Don't, don't get that twisted up. I don't work for you, son. We're on, we're in this together. And don't you ever forget that. And I think that's the, you know, every once in a while you need that reality check. And it's, it's, it's funny because, you know, you, you hear him talk, Charlie. And it was like, well, I, I wouldn't ever want to have that switch flipped because that's then then things really get real. Mm-hmm. You know, you get to the point where it's like, no, now we need action and not words. Hey, folks, Stefan Shirazi and Renee Richardson here from the Metallica Report. And we are proud members of the Pantheon podcast family, where the best of music and podcasts unite. We've got something pretty cool for you. We're giving away an exclusive Metallica merch package worth over $250. That's a whole lot of scary guys, skulls, M72, and other sought-after Metallica swag. And we've made it easy for you to win. Follow and share the Metallica report, and you're in the game. Go to pantheonpodcast.com slash Metallica, enter your email, and hit that button to be entered to win. And just like that, you're eligible for our monthly exclusive Metallica merch package. And guess what, rockers? You can enter every month. So just do it. And while we love our global brothers and sisters, the lawyers won't let us ship outside the U.S.
Yes, and your action. Uh, <laughs> and I need you to get with me here on Let It Bleed because, you know, yes. when, when we first started this, and, and we've done more than 40 shows now, it's kind of amazing, but it's also not surprising at all because I'm like, we've only had 40 conversations about rock and roll in the last year. That's crazy. But we knew at some point because of what Let It Bleed meant to the two of us and as much as we listened to it together when we lived together in the early 90s, eventually we're going to have to cover Let It Bleed. Correct. And I was telling my wife, I think it was yesterday, the Stones have been around for a long time and they put out a lot of records. And this, unfortunately, is one of the ones that I think kind of gets pushed to the side. It's not Tattoo You, it's not Some Girls, it's not Sticky Fingers. So you think, oh yeah, yeah, let it bleed. That was the, you know, that was kind of the old Stones, the original Stones. I'm, I'm more of, you know, the later rock and roll, big time stadium tours. That's, that's what I like. That's mm-hmm. what I know. You listen to this record. It, it's got, it, it's got some hits on it. But I think every single track on this is fantastic. This is a great album that, if you've not listened to it before and you put it on, you say, how was I missing this? Like, you've heard Gimme Shelter, I get it. You've heard You Can't Always Get What You Want. They play that on the radio all the time. But what's in between there is also just awesome. And this is kind of the, you know, we talked about the golden age of Mick Taylor being in the band. This is the very, very beginning. At this point in time, Brian Jones was just gone. He he was unusable. He was not participating. Substance abuse problems. I think he, he had gotten to the point where he just couldn't get along with Mick and Keith anymore. And so he was out of the band. And so they kind of, this was like the bridge in between the original and then the second incarnation of the Rolling Stones. Which is, of course, our favorite. Those Mick Taylor years are Correct. unbelievable. I mean, not that they didn't do great stuff in the 60s. Obviously they did, and they, they're still playing that stuff. But the Mick Taylor years, and I, I really started on this album, even though he really only played on a couple of songs. This is the, the beginning. And it was July 1st, 1969, that he, with the Stones, played the big free concert in Hyde Park here in London. I've got a Mm -hmm. a black and white print of it in my home. And then this album came out, you know, later that year. Honky Tonk Women, the single, not Country Honk, which is on the record, but the single, the standalone single, Honky Tonk Women did come out in July, and it was on Through the Past Darkly, you know, Greatest Hits Volume 2, and and he played on that, uh, played a little slide on that, and interestingly enough, the famous cowbell, which as soon as you hear that tonk, 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 everyone goes, ah, Honky Tonk Women. Yeah. That was Jimmy Miller. That was not Charlie. Interesting. Okay. Because Jimmy Miller did a little drumming and did a little percussion. In fact, he did the drums. On You Can't Always Get What You Want because he worked with Charlie on it for a while. And for whatever reason, Charlie wasn't giving him the vibe that he wanted. So eventually he just kind of did it himself. Hmm. So that's that's Jimmy Miller, genius that he was, working with Mick and Keith to produce those records. Yeah, I mean, he knew how to get the best sounds out of them, didn't he? And that's interesting, too, because now I'm, now I'm just, I'm in my mind, I'm starting to jump around here. And I remember watching part of that Metallica deal where they made the black record and you see Bob Rock playing the bass. Mm-hmm. And it's the same It's the same thing. You're like, no, 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 like this. Play it like this. It's in my head, but I can't get it across to you. It's interesting how it, it, you just have that vision in your head of how it's supposed to sound. And yeah, it, it, it's cool that I don't know how the exchange went, but if Watch just said, you know what, if you've got it, do it. Because obviously I'm missing something here. Lay it down. It's pretty cool. 
Well, and they unfortunately they couldn't get Gene from Blue Oyster Cult to do the cowbell on Honky Tonk Women. He was busy, apparently. Well, you know, it <laughs> does cure the fever, so you need more of it. <laughs> but this was, see, to me, this is a real turning point. Not that Beggar's Banquet or their Satanic Majesty's Request weren't great kind of latter 60s Stones albums. But for me, this was a turning point. Like you said, Brian Jones was no longer in any kind of condition to do anything he would come in wasted and when he wasn't wasted he was a real jerk there's a fairly yeah. good chance he was murdered at his house we don't know for sure but there's a fairly good chance he was murdered well i mean when you drown in your own pool at your own house and they i guess they ran a tox screen on him and couldn't find anything at that point in time yeah it's a little strange course the other thing too was apparently he really liked to have affairs with married women so maybe it was somebody's old man that got mad i don't know but it yeah i think i like i said i think at this point in time like the the relationship had soured so much that he just he it was just not going to work out with or without the drugs they just were not on the same page anymore right it's like okay we need an upgrade where do we go well they went where everybody went for their guitar players back in the 60s they went to john mayall's blues breakers right you know yeah they, they had Clapton in there, and then they had Peter Green in there, who eventually formed Fleetwood Mac. And then they took Mick Taylor, who was kind of a wonderkind. On that slide, there really haven't been many like him. To me, he was the greatest I ever really heard consistently until I saw and heard Derek Trucks. But obviously, that's decades later. That's like 40 years later. I know, all respect to Dwayne Allman, he, he may have been better than both of them. It's just his, his body of work was a little smaller, and right. I'm, I'm a little less familiar with it. But they brought him in to play on a few songs. He played on, on the record, he only played on a couple of songs. It was Country Honk, on which he played a little slide, and then on Live With Me, he played some electric. But... He did play on the single Honky Tonk Women, and there's a couple different versions. Some people say, Keith says that basically we had Country Honk, and then when he brought his slide in, it really changed it to Honky Tonk Women, not to mention that that cowbell. But Mick, I don't know if he's just kind of being self-deprecating, or he's like, you know, yeah, by the time I came in to lay down my parts, it was already pretty well made. But it's an amazing song, and it's of this album, but technically not on the album, right? Right. Right, and, and it's interesting to hear the country honk version because if you don't know what it is, you're like, okay, cut. hey, wait a minute, that's I don't, I don't know it this way, I know it the other way because that was the big single. It, it's it's cool to hear that. I mean, I like them both. I do too. Yeah, I do too. I mean, obviously, I'd never heard country honk when I was a teenager. I'd only heard uh, honky tonk women from the radio and from Hot Rocks. Yeah. Um, and from the London years and stuff like that. But I think I bought Let It Bleed on the strength of Gimme Shelter. I loved Gimme Shelter so much. It was my favorite Stone song. Just so haunting and cool and the nitty gritty ugliness of the world with some sick guitar on it, you know, yeah. and not overplayed. It, it fit just perfectly. Of course, it was amazing when they played it on Steel Wheels Tour. So I bought it based on that. Plus, obviously, I know Can't Always Get What You Want was the last one on the album. And then, you know, from there, I just started to to learn about the other songs. And we got to we got to go through them here. Yeah, um, and, and this is one of those ones where you just you just put it on and let it play. Yeah, because there there are I don't think there's there there's slower spots, but I don't think there's any. I don't think there's any track on here where you're like, eh, I can skip that. No, you you're missing out if you skip anything on this one. Yeah, this is this is as good as it gets, folks. And, you start with Gimme Shelter. 
that you don't mm-hmm. build to gimme shelter. You start with gimme shelter. <laughs> you hear that out of the gate and you know you're in for something there, man. This is about yeah. rape and murder and violence and mayhem. And who was singing on that with Mick? Who did the, uh, was it? Mary uh, Clayton. Mary Clayton. The, yeah. And, and to hear her go up so high that her voice just cracks like that. Like you just get that, to your point, you just get that like panic feeling from the song. Like it's like, you know, she's like flipping out and this is... We're having we're having some real problems here. Like this is a real a real dark, a real nasty place to be. Very visceral reaction to what's yeah. going on around her. And you can be like, wow, yeah, there's there's something kind of horrible going on. And you know, a soul and gospel singer, but she killed it on this. And then I don't know how many movies has it been in? I mean, I bet it's been yeah. in four Martin Scorsese movies alone. <laughs> yeah, and, and it seems like until whenever you hear that in a movie, you're like Oh yeah, that track's awesome. I gotta pull this record out again. It's it's well known, but I don't think it's overplayed. I, I, I totally agree. But you remember it in Goodfellas in a big way. I believe it was also in Casino, if I'm not mistaken. There were actually a I lot think, of Stone songs in Casino. Yeah, yeah. Casino's got a great great soundtrack to it. Yeah, I think it was in Casino, and yeah, it just I remember it just fit in perfectly to the scene that they had it in. And it was in Departed too. The Departed. Uh, like the, so yes, what is. Scorsese has it on, uh, has it just has it queued up and ready to go. He does. He absolutely does. And, and he used a lot of Stone songs in Casino. Of course, Goodfellas has that amazing soundtrack. But what's also in Goodfellas is Monkey Man. And, yes. and Monkey Man was part of the reason I bought this record too, because at the time we were in college, this is the only record you could get Monkey Man on. And as far as I know, it may still be. I don't think I have it on any compilations. I might have it live somewhere, but as far as I know, Let It Bleed is the only yeah. Stones album you can get Monkey Man on. Yeah, I think you're right because I remember I remember hearing it for the first time and saying, "Yeah, why wasn't this on Hot Rocks? This is a great track." And you know, there's only there's only so much space on a on a couple of records, but yeah, I mean, so make another one. Yeah, well, and, and but so give me shelter, and then of course you know the whole Altamont thing happened later in '69. The supposed to be the West Coast Woodstock, of course, the Hell's Angels did security. Someone was murdered. It was a really ugly scene. And, you know, you're playing this haunting kind of song during that ugly scene. It kind of became the death knell Synonymous. of the 60s, yeah. right? You know? Yeah. And and I think it, it did. This this one in particular became kind of synonymous with that the Altamont debacle and how you thought that was going to be a good idea. I have no idea. I think it just got out of control. Like it was at one spot and then it was, they had, they couldn't have enough people in there. So they moved it like the last minute to the racetrack. Right. Yeah. I don't think anybody was really in control of what was going on. And yes, somebody got killed, but I think there was also a lot of, People that just got the crap beat out of them. Mm-hmm. The Hell's Angels weren't. They were just looking for trouble when they were there. Yeah, it was just it was just a horrible idea all the way around. Really was, you know, because they skip Woodstock. It's like, yeah, that's not for us. And then it kind of became these cultural things. Like, okay, well, we kind of need one of our own. Yeah. Uh, all right, well, we'll try a West Coast one this time, and we'll get the dead to help us out, and they they'll get their buddies to do the security. Yeah, it's a it's a bad idea. But that song, out of all the Stone songs, hundreds of Stone songs, to me. 
that will always be the quintessential best Rolling Stones song ever. Interesting. Yeah, it, it, it's definitely one of those ones that doesn't get its due with the with the big Rolling Stones. It's not Jumpin' Jack Flash. It's not Brown Correct. Sugar. It's not Satisfaction. Yeah, it's not Start Me Up. We get it. But yeah, it, it's it is a great song, and, it, and it's kind of the one where maybe if you're not a super huge Stones fan, you maybe you don't know or you don't appreciate it. So it's kind of like a it's. It's great, but the, it's kind of like more of a back catalog, like for the, more like, the, I guess, the real fans, quote unquote. And that's us. That's you and me, Jackson. Correct. And of course, on the piano on that song was the legendary Nicky Hopkins, who had played with them over the years many times. He's not with us anymore. He he died, I think, you know, right before or right at the start of our senior year of college. But but he toured with them for a long time. I think he was on that Tattoo You tour, the, the Hampton Roads uh, that mm. I had the bootleg on, but he he played with them over the years, and he played on you know, four or five tracks on this record, including "Gimme Shelter," and, and also good old Ian Stewart, who was a member of the Stones in the early '60s. He was the piano player of the Stones. Right. They they finally kind of realized we don't really need a piano player all that much, and we don't need to be a member. Uh, and we do, they didn't use piano on all that many songs, so we'd sit back there and shake maracas like, "Yeah, we we're gonna do this from six to five. But they kept him around. He became the road manager, and he did that for many years. And I think he even got to play a little bit on that Tattoo You tour as well. Was he the one, was he the big golf guy? I don't know. He just, he looked very Irish. He kind of had that big Irish chin. He had the dark hair that kind of became Sandy Gray over time. And he didn't stay so slight like the other guys did. He kind of aged over time and gained weight like the rest of us. Yeah, I think there was, I think he was a big golf fan. And somebody was complaining about how like they go on these tours and they said, okay, you know, cool. We're going to stay in, we're going to stay in the place. We're going to stay downtown. He's, no, 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 no. I got this great golf course that we can stay out in the middle of nowhere. But he, you know, St. Andrews or something like, there's no chicks here. There's no parties, but okay, cool. You can play golf while we're here. That's great. Whoopity do, right? Yeah. <laughs> but they love the guy. Then you go into, then they slow it right back down. It's like, okay, we're, we're telling you about the worst things in the world. Bring it down to a Robert Johnson song. Well, you know that Robert Johnson's going to have a little evil twist in his songs, right? Yes. Yes. And and just to, to listen to this, it, it's a real, I don't want to say it's a, it's a hard stop, but it's a real left turn. Like it's real slow. And the slide on this is great. And yeah, just if you listen to the words, you're like, oh man, this is just, this is brutal. So, so good. And you know, here's the thing. Keith's playing the slide on that. You know, a lot of people are like, okay, yeah. Brian's out, then they brought Mickey in to do everything. No, Keith, Keith did most all of the guitar work, both the rhythm, acoustic, lead, and slide when necessary. And he played slide on this one. And just a classical song. I've seen him play it over the years. They've, they've brought it back out over the years, which is great to hear. Ry Cooter actually played the mandolin on this one. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and, and actually, Mick does a pretty good job on the the old school like blues vocals too mm-hmm. for a for a white guy from England he does a pretty good job he does he does and he doesn't do harmonica on this one he he did it on on Midnight Rambler which we'll get to and he did mm-hmm. it on Gimme Shelter that that that's Mick on the harp yeah uh, and did an awesome job on it obviously but I like Love in Vain this old blues song they they pull it out a little bit got the slide on it yeah I mean it's it's a great one and I'm glad they still do it live because 
You don't have to run around 100 miles an hour to sing this one. You guys can do this like in the acoustic set. You can sit down and sing this kind of old blues one. Right, and, and I like it too because it's it shows you that, you know, they had to come from somewhere. They got this idea from somebody. They didn't just make it up. So, yeah, they would sit around and listen to old Robert Johnson songs as kids you know, young adults and say, yeah, that's, that's what I want to do. It inspired them. So it's cool to hear that, you know, how did you get here? Well, let me show you. It was something like this. Exactly. All right. So then you go to country honk, which again, it's, it's almost like the working version of honky tonk women, but it's, it's stripped down bare. It's very acoustic. It's got a little slide on it. Thanks to Mick Taylor. And he's really kind of channeling, you know, that country sound Mick Jagger. He changes his voice a little bit on this one. I feel like to, to get more of that, uh, not maybe, maybe Hank Williams kind of sound out of it or um i don't know who, who else would you think might be a good example there this ain't no hank williams song jimmy rogers uh, maybe yeah 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 the, the guys from back then <laughs> and and it's cool too because i think at the beginning there's some ambient noise at the it, it kind of sounds like cars are going by or something somebody honks yeah so so it almost seems like you kind of get the picture in your mind of them these dudes just sitting around you know in a in a room somewhere with the windows open and they're like what do you want to play next i don't know what do you want to play oh let's play this one you know you go into the song and it, it kind of it almost sounds like it's kind of an impromptu deal that's what i get from it even though i i know it wasn't they wrote the song but it just kind of sounds like just a band just jamming together yeah yeah and say okay well, we're gonna do this one about you know Hookers in Memphis. All right, let's do yeah, it. You yeah. Know? <laughs> yeah. I got a song for you. Here we go. There was a great thing. They were kind of doing the, if, if you've seen, I think it's Olay, Olay, Olay when they do, when they go to Cuba and they play Cuba and they, they do some other South American and Central American shows leading up to it. And Keith and Mick are talking about the original Honky Tonk Woman. And they actually mention her names, like the original Honky Tonk Woman. And Keith goes, who's a close personal friend of all the members of the band. <laughs> and uh, and then Mick said, yeah, and her friend, you know, Debbie, too, or whatever. And Keith's like, oh, well, I never got that far. But never doubt that Mick did, right? <laughs> Probably Bill Wyman, too. <laughs> right. After. Like, hey, you know what? You need a cab? You know what? There's a short distance to the cab right through my hotel room. <laughs> <laughs> now song number four live with me this is the one jackson right. you, you, every time we do this you know i kind of forget one song either forget it was on there or i forget how much i liked it and live with me is that song on let it bleed and i kick myself for not like if you said name me the songs on let it bleed i would have gotten all of them except this one it would have it would have escaped me and now that i hear it i'm like oh you're an idiot how could you forget this one this this could be my favorite song on the record it it's it's nasty. It's disgusting. You know, but it's like, yeah, it's, it's this is what's happening. I, I'm I'm a disgusting person, but I love it. The bass intro is fantastic. Like you don't get that many, and then it's just like, yeah, like it's just a song about. It, it sounds like everybody's just having this giant disgusting party, which mm -hmm. I'm sure that they did. Right. You know, I I've got to find out why it's disgusting to take tea at three. I guess that's probably uncouth or something but yeah it's it's just and and the piano on it is fantastic it's just this you know this boogie woogie you've come off of love and vein and country honk and this is this this is just switching gears again yeah it, it to your point, you listen to it, you're like, hey, yeah, wait a minute, this is a great one too. Why have I not heard this more? Why did I not play it more? 
Well, you mentioned the Boogie Woogie premiere. I know that's, again, Nicky Hopkins. But you talk about that <laughs> sick bass intro. That's Keith Richards. Yes, correct. Bill Wyman Sorry, played Bill, bass yeah. on every song except for Country Hawk, on which there is no bass that I can discern. And then Keith played the bass on this one. So you really see Keith kind of picking it up here. Because he's playing lead, he's playing rhythm, he's doing all the backing vocals as he usually does. He's playing bass on this one. Sings a little lead, which we'll get here shortly. So, I mean, it's just kind of showing you he's not just some kid following Mick's lead. He's in charge of some stuff here. You know, and it would be interesting now to, to, to get his take on this record because it sounds great, but I wonder if he was like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. So Jones is gone. We don't have another guy yet. Yeah, you're thinking about Mick Taylor or somebody, whatever, but we've got to record this record. I guess I'll just do everything. I don't know if that was something that he was like, okay, cool, or uh, so sure, lead everything to me. Right. I don't know. I'd like his take on that because they, I'm sure there was a lot of work for him on this deal. No doubt about it. You can tell. But, it, I mean, it, it shows. It was an amazing record. Uh, yeah. And that goes right into the title track, Let It Bleed, which y- mm. you have to long this song. Everybody needs someone yes. they can lean on. <laughs> and, again, the drumming here. I, I love that you think it's spare. Boom, pop, boom, pop. But it was right on the money for what they needed, and it, it made the song what it is. I mean, you can give Keith all the credit for doing all that guitar, that great cool guitar on it, and played electric, played slide, played acoustic, played everything on it. But to me, Charlie just keeps that keeps that thing going. Yeah, and, and I like the fact that we kind of get through stages here in this song, you know. We go from leaning on someone to bleeding on someone mm-hmm. to, well, you know, whatever you need, we can we can make that happen too. It's kind of a bridge when they talk about the, the jaded, faded, junkie nurse. And it kind of changes yeah. it changes the song. They kind of go to a minor bit for a while and they come back to me like, wow, that's a that's a great old tune, you know. It's a little long mm-hmm. at five and a half minutes to have been a single back in the day. But I still think they released it. I don't know if they released a cut down version of it or not, but they had Let It Bleed backed with You Got the Silver in Japan. Was okay. a was a single. Obviously, Honky Tonk Woman was kind of a big single, even though it wasn't technically on the album. And I think I think they I think they released Gimme Shelter as a single with You Can't Always Get What You Want as the B side. Okay. Which is yeah, that crazy. Would, that would be a- <laughs> yeah, that's that's weird because I think those are arguably the two biggest songs on the record. You're going to put it out as a single. Okay. Yeah, well. up to you. But but Let It Bleed is great. And they did that, you know, in the in the early 80s, too, on that Hampton Roads. Uh, and I just remember this is a great version of this song. You know, I'm, glad, I'm really glad they, they broke that back out. Now, the sixth song, Midnight Rambler, is also a classic Stones song. It may not have been a big hit, but live... It was a staple of what they did for a really long time. And I remember being in Cardinal Stadium in September of 1989 at the Steel Wheel Show. I was with my buddy Jordan, and he just heard them fiddling around getting ready for it. He's like, dude, I think this is Midnight Rambler. I'm like, huh? I couldn't make it out yet, and nobody else really knew what it was yet. And then he got into it. He's like, I told you. I called what a call. Midnight Rambler. Oh, yeah. But... <laughs> This is a classic Stone song. It's got some classic Mick harmonica on it. And it also gives you a chance to kind of really bring it down low, right? Bring it down low. Because if you saw the last waltz by Scorsese about the band, 
There's a great scene with Robbie and Levon sitting there talking about the Midnight Ramble. Whereas if you go to one of these down south, you know, blues joints or whatever, the Midnight Ramble is when it would kind of shift over. Like the jokes would get a little dirtier and the music would get a little more ornery and the, the, the foxiest woman might go shaking a little bit lower, you know, during these songs or whatever. It's like, and that was the Midnight Ramble. And so, yeah, this song, seven minutes, it's a long song for back then. But killer live because you're you're jamming along and then you bring it down. Whoa! Well, you yeah. heard about the Boston boom, you know. And but then you crank it back up and then everyone's like, okay. And you just jump it back up and it gets running again. Classic, classic Stone song. And I can imagine to play it live, it's almost like a break because it's not this. You know, you can you can kind of work the crowd a little bit. You can you can slow it down. You can pull out the you know you know this fast part is coming again, but you can. You can make them wait for it and just kind of give everybody almost a little break on this one. Yeah, until until they pick it back up and then it's, oh, Correct, yeah. Correct, yeah. But, yeah. But it, is, it isn't like, it isn't wall-to-wall insanity. And it is kind of cool, to, to, again, to watch him switch gears. And I think Mick Jagger is, it, it, for all the things that people bag on him about, you know, you know, kind of being this peacock out there doing mm-hmm. his thing. He is a fantastic harmonica player. When you when he gets into it, he does not get enough credit in my book for that. He's really, yeah, he actually is very, very good. All right, so then you get to the Keith song. You got the silver, and this kind of starts mm-hmm. the tradition now. Every record gets a Keith song where Keith gets to sing lead vocals. And he, I think he sounds different. I mean, he, he sounds like young Keith. He hasn't smoked millions of cigarettes yet. Yeah, the gravel point. hasn't gotten there yet. Right, I mean, but even, you know, when you get to, like, Happy and stuff like that, once you get to TNA down at the end of the 70s, like, that's, that's kind of the Keith voice I'm used to. Happy, yeah. he's, he's not quite as gravelly there. He's still kind of got that young Keith sound to him. Now, he, he kind of did connection on Between the Buttons, with Mick, it was kind of a co-lead sing kind of thing. And then Salt of the Earth, he he kind of starts it and then Mick finishes it. Again, it's it's kind of a duet between the two of them. But this is, which was on Beggar's Banquet, this is the first time it's just Keith singing on its own. And it's a spare song. It fits with the album well and that it's kind of got a little slide guitar on it, which Keith plays, and, and let him sing his song. I, I don't know. It's And I eventually got to see him do it live many years later, but I don't know, what, what's your impressions of, of Keith's first solo song, sing on a Stones record? I, I like it. I like it. That I always like the change of pace with a different voice. doesn't matter who the band is. Mm-hmm. You get somebody else that can sing. It's always kind of a cool treat slash change of pace. And yeah, from then on, he always had one. And that was always my favorite, you know, to go and find the Keith track on, on every record i think it sounds pretty good you're right it doesn't it takes you a minute i'm like oh yeah that is keith singing his voice is different than what you're used to the kind of the classic keith richards vocal delivery but no i like it and it's a great change of pace and it's cool that it's down on the second side you know you're really into this thing now Mm -hmm. and so you get a little you get a little treat there with the with the keith richards vocals yeah shortest song on the record of course mick doesn't want to having a long song but no uh, but uh, but it's, you can have just a little. It's a classic. It's a classic. And then going on to Monkey Man again. I love this song. It, it may be. I mean, I you know, Give Me Shelter is held in a certain esteem. 
But to me, Monkey Man is killer rock and roll track. You know, I'm a flea-bitten peanut monkey, all my friends junkies. And then that guitar in there is hot, man. Yeah. The slide by Keith is great. You know, it's, it's really great. And I think it was Goodfellas that turned me on to it. Like, well, that's the Stones, isn't it? You know, because they didn't yeah. play that on the radio a whole lot. And then, and then you say to yourself, kind of like uh, "Live with Me." Why have I not heard this song a million times? It's it's awesome. Yeah, it's it's a little bit nasty. And when they play it live, you know, you hear that it starts off. It's very distinctive. It doesn't sound like any other. You know, it's you know, it's Monkey Man. And then that. Like you know what's coming next. It, it's a it's a great song, yeah. And the you know I I hope you are a monkey woman too. You know, yeah, but on it, the same page, right? There's a part where it's like you'd almost call it the solo part, I guess. It's kind of sweet, you know. Yeah, they kind of they slow it down a little bit, and they, they kind of do some chord run there. It's like, oh, you know, it's kind of it's kind of nice and smooth. And then as soon as the second it's over, I'm a monkey! I'm like, yep, that's that's the song, you know, that's that's awesome, you know, and I love it. And like I said, to the best of my knowledge, this is really the only record you can get it on. It, it's a classic, it's one of the best album tracks that was never a single, never on a greatest hits record that they ever did. Yeah, and, and it is cool because to discover that... You know, you, you, again, you say to yourself, why was this not bigger? This is a great song. And then you start to talk to people. Oh, yeah, I love that track. Oh, really? Well, you know, tell me what else is out there, because if I miss this, there's got to be something else I didn't hear. And and I think this is a, another one. It's probably not known to the the masses all that much. But yeah, to the to the Stones fans. Oh, yeah, everybody knows this one. That's right. That's right. And of course, it ends with you can't always get what you want, which has the, uh, you know, the uh, London Bach choir opening it you mm-hmm. know of course they try to distance themselves from it because you know there's there's drug references and it. it's like okay yes keep the choir away from the rockers let them <laughs> lock them in a room with the priests for days on end that that'll be the best thing for them that's much safer whoops um <laughs> but they it's it's obviously it's a classic and once you get the choir over with and you hear that kind of electric guitar i'm sorry the acoustic guitar with keith at the beginning you know exactly what it is and and that's actually Al Cooper playing the French horn. That, that's Al Cooper, who, of course, went on to fame and fortune as a uh, producer with uh, Bob Dylan, Blood, Sweat and Tears. Yeah, and, and this is a track where it, it, it gets played. It's not it's not in the heavy rotation with the Stones classics. But I think enough people have heard this. this. This got its run on classic rock radio a lot. For sure. Back in the day, I remember hearing it. Well, it's just a universal message, isn't it? You can't always get right. what you want. Uh, so it resonates with a lot of people. I don't care if you're old or young or man or woman or you know any of the other dichotomies of life. You know, you can't always get what you want. But if you try sometimes, you just might find. Uh, and and so yeah, it's it's part of Storm's lore. I've seen him play it everyone loves it it's uh, it's funny in high fidelity the movie with john cusack where he owns the record store and jack black's one of his employees his girlfriend's father died so jack black's like all right let's do a let's do a tribute album you know top five songs to commemorate you know laura's daddy dying and uh, he's like okay, what would you want at yours and he goes can't always get what you want by the rolling stones and the other little guy's like automatically disqualified because of its use the big chill he's like oh my god you're right <laughs> 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 Which That's is a pretty funny. good movie, and you know, I think for my parents, like it hit them like right at that time, like like they were you know yep. 
they're in their 30s. People are married. People have kids. People have careers taken off. Some people are doing better than others. You know, some people are maybe having affairs, you know, whatever kind of thing. I think the movie itself resonated for them. But then the soundtrack, I remember the Big Chill soundtrack because it had like Three Dog Night and a lot of that like Motown stuff on it. We burned through that in the cassette player every time my mom picked me up because, you know, I wouldn't listen to that country stuff and she wouldn't listen to my pop stuff. But uh, you met in the middle. We met in the middle on the Big Chill soundtrack. And, you know, I, I knew Jeremiah was a bullfrog pretty well by the age of 10 or 11 <laughs> or whatever it was. But, yeah, I mean, look, this this was a turning point for the Stones, right? They move on from Brian Jones. They start to get Mick Taylor into the band. This is the first time Bobby Keys ever played with them on an album. He played sax on Live With Me. And Bobby and Keith were kindred spirits. They were Mm -hmm. best buddies. I think they were born hours apart on the same day. And, And they may not have looked much alike, but they and Bobby didn't miss many tours with the Stones. I mean, all the way up until his death. He was always with them. So, you know, that was an important kind of piece of the puzzle, making sure Nicky Hopkins was around. You know, Leon Russell did a little bit of work on Live With Me as well, you know, and, you know, to incorporate the choir and, and, you know, the arrangement of, you know, of all that stuff on there. This is this is the Stones kind of growing up. And it was after this that they did Get Your Yaya's Out which is kind of considered the first kind of modern. I mean, it's Who Live at Leeds is maybe the first big modern live record, but this has got to be pretty close. Yeah, I, I kind of think about this record as like, you know, when you watch the rocket ship go up and the and the pieces start falling off of it, this was like kind of like the first, like they were they were kind of shedding like the 60s sound and the 60s feel and moving into like incorporating more instruments in there, more players, kind of more of like the country rock feel like they'd have on Sticky Fingers Mm -hmm. and Exile on Main Street. They would start to use different people. They kind of expand the band out a little bit. So yeah, to your point, this was definitely a turning point. And then yeah, going into Get Your Yaya's Out, more of a, you know, if you hadn't seen the Stones, you could at least listen to that record and get kind of an approximation of what you were missing. And bringing it all back, you know, get your yayas out. Has Charlie on the cover? Just Charlie jumping up in the air with a donkey next to him. That seemed like a good idea, but I know people have said, you know, you're you know, you're a big band. You know, you're very popular when you put the record out and the drummer is on the cover. Because everybody knows who he was, that they were that big. And I don't know about the donkey. That was weird. Yeah, I don't know. But uh, but anyway, well, I mean, look, I mean, that's, uh, look, God bless you, Charlie. God rest you. I bet he's jamming with some of his heroes right now up there. He might be sitting next to Robert Johnson keeping time for all we know. So we, we, we wish him, we wish him the best and that, uh, you know, we'll miss him. And I'm, I'm just curious, what does this really mean for the Stones? Yes, I know that they'll finish this tour. They've got a big tattoo you reissue coming out that not only has new songs but new songs that weren't finished back in the day but they touch them up now which is controversial some people say you shouldn't mess with them some people say but they weren't finished if we finished them now they're songs now they're listenable and i'm sure charlie was on those recordings so i'll probably have to pick that up out of curiosity but but I'm I'm curious as to what this really means going forward for the Stones. Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know 
I would have a hard time without Charlie Lumpenty that way. No, knowing that he was, he would never, he's never coming back. Like I said, I could, I could give you the filling in, but never coming back. It, it's a, it's a big loss for the band. And I, yeah, I don't know what this means for them moving forward. They, they haven't put out new music in a long time. So it, that's not really, it's not like you're going to hear a new stones record without Charlie Watts. I don't think. So we'll see. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, you're I right. Know. I mean, they probably got some stuff that he's on that they will eventually release, whether it's ancient stuff or stuff they've done in the last 10 years or something like that. We'll, we'll eventually, it'll eventually see the light of day. I'm sure it will. But yeah, I, I just kind of am curious. Does it really go on from here? Or is it time to kind of fold up? Finish the tour because you need to. Do it as a tribute to Charlie. Absolutely. But before it's like, okay, now Ronnie's sick. Okay, now we're not sure about Keith. Maybe you exit. I don't know. I, I don't think Mick ever really wants to quit. There's so much money and fame and adulation that goes with being on tour with the Stones. And, and they get to go to South America where there's so yeah. many beautiful women down there for him to play with, you know, and they make tons of money. So I, I don't know. I, I personally decided not to go see the Stones anymore about 18 years ago. I broke it because they came to my town. They played Churchill Downs. So I'm like, okay, if I need to drive four miles to see them, I'm going. If I got to fly four hours, I'm not going to do it. But if I got to drive down, that, that's fine. And and I said, no, I'm never going to go see them again. And I haven't really changed my mind. The only thing that could change it is like, I would love to give my daughter the gift of seeing the Stones, maybe. And maybe if they did some kind of Hyde Park thing next summer, oh yeah, that would be cool. Maybe, yeah. Um, but uh, but I, I I don't I don't know. I don't know. I mean, yeah, I'm I'm with you. The same thing. It's it's just not. It wouldn't be the same to me. And so I I would. It would have to be something very unique, very special for me to say. Yeah, I'll go ahead and do that. <laughs> So that's our final send-off to the great Charlie Watts. It's upsetting and definitely a bummer to think that there is no more Charlie Watts. And Charlie Watts has always been there. I'm almost 50 years old and there's never not been Charlie Watts or Rolling Stones. But it is sad and I guess he's 80 years old. It had to happen eventually. Some of your heroes are going to die off. But when it actually happens, it's just a sad day. And such a gentleman, such a kind man, such an amazing drummer. It's the backbone of the Rolling Stones. We're going to miss you, Charlie. And I hope you enjoyed our take on Let It Bleed. It's probably overdue considering it was one of the first albums that really brought me and Jackson together and turned us on to that Old Stones catalog beyond just the greatest hits, the hot rocks and what have you. We still love that record. It's still fantastic to this day. Next week is going to be kind of fun in that... Rush, the band, our very favorite band, has re-released the director's cut of Cinema Strangiata, which will have scenes from the R40 tour in it. It's a one-night-only event at movie theaters around the world, and even though we're a, a pond apart, we're going to see it quote-unquote together, and then come back and talk about it. But then we're also going to give a review of Roll the Bones, as right around the recording of this, it is the 30th anniversary of Roll the Bones, and it came out right as we started school together, right as we started living together. And of course, we went to see them on that tour. We camped out for tickets and we chronicle that in episodes seven and eight if you want to go back and check those out. Speaking of which, you can check out all past episodes at www.uglyamericanwerewolf.libsyn.com and we need you to follow us on Twitter at ugly underscore werewolf or at actionjack72 and let us know which albums, which bands do you want to hear about. Please make sure to download and subscribe at Spotify, Amazon, 
Google, wherever you might get your podcast, and leave a review if you think we're doing a good job. It always helps us get more listeners like you. So thanks for listening. And until next time, all you rock and rollers all around the world, be cool and stay safe. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.